Stop into Lowe's to fit a few more projects and a lot more savings into summer. Get your deck looking its best with the new Valspar Exterior Stain. It covers in one coat, is rain-ready in four hours, provides all-weather defense from the elements, and it's only at Lowe's. Then, get ready to kick off the fall grilling season with savings of up to 20% on select grills. All projects have a starting point. Start with Lowe's. Grill offer valid through 829. While supplies last, see store for details. Haunted Nights Live. This is Alistair Cross, and I'm here with my co-host, Tamara Thorne. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. To learn more about your hosts, you can visit our websites at tamrathorne.com and alistaircross.com. You can also give our Haunted Nights Live page a like on Facebook, or visit our mutual blog at thorneandcross.wordpress.com. If you tweet, our Twitter handle is at ThornCross. We'd like to give a very big special thank you to W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. This is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We are doing something a little bit different tonight. We've never done it this way before, but we have two guests, and we're all here in the studio, and... uh, Our first guest is TJ Reddick. He is a guy with a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. He manages chemical and mental health contracts for the man, writes dark and weird fiction, spends leisure time studying the sociological and psychological impact of narcotics. He interviews authors on a weekly podcast called Scrivener Soapbox, which we have both been uh, guests of. And he does mobile recording and editing in the Twin Cities. Our second guest is an author I've had my eye on for a long time. I see her around. I want to check out some of her stuff. Amanda Lyons, who is a longtime fan of horror and fantasy. Ms. Lyons writes character-driven novels that, while influenced by her darker interests, can also be heavily laced with fantasy, romance, history, and magic. Um, first off, let's welcome TJ. Hi, TJ. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? We're good. <laughs> I'm doing well. <laughs> All right. Before like we get... you, we talk over each other. <laughs> yes, we do, and we will continue to do so till the day we die. <laughs> we will. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk a little bit before we introduce Amanda. Let's talk a little bit about your work. Now it says you have a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, and it sounds like you do. The first thing I'm interested in is your interest in sociological and psychological impact of narcotics. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's 
just a passion of mine. I mean, that's what I do for work. I manage um, all the contracts for Hennepin County. That's Minneapolis. That's uh, where Hennepin County, that falls in the Hennepin County. All our contracts for all the detoxification centers in the area. So, you know, a big part of my job is understanding how drugs work and how they affect society on a whole. So, yeah, I spend a lot of my time actually reading academic journals on new drugs that are popping up and just always been a passion. Interesting. Cool. So now let's introduce Amanda. And um, uh, first of all, welcome to the show, Amanda. Yes. Hi. 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 <laughs> before, we, before we get into writing, um, what do you like to do in your spare time, Amanda? Uh, chase my evil spawn, um, read, um, I do try to draw and paint. I'm not sure what I think of the results. Uh, I kind of do a little bit of everything. Just if it's creative, it's probably got my interest. Interesting. Thanks. So now, okay, so let's move right along into writing. Um, TJ you're you have an upcoming book. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? The upcoming book or the philosopher's love, the uh, one that's out. Let's, yeah, let's, let's do, do let's do both. Too. Let's do both. Let's do the philosopher's stone, and we'll talk about the upcoming one in a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This book has such a great cover. Yeah. Oh, the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a perfect yeah. cover. One of my guys, my writer, yeah. suggested it. Um, yeah, the Philosopher's Load is something I've been working on oh, a couple of years after I finished my master's program. I really wanted to write a novel, and I just finally now then had time to do it. Um, so I got involved in a bunch of writing groups and started cracking away at it every day. And it's around the same time I started the Scrivener Soapbox. And, yeah, I'll pop this book with a great cover. Yeah, I, nice. it's a really fun read, too. Now. We're doing things a little different than we normally do, so Alistair and I are a little bit confused. Um, do you want to play the excerpt from uh, Philosophy yeah, Upload? Yeah, we, we've 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 uploaded, we've done an upload, so we're going to see if it works. So, this is from the Philosopher's Load. Here we go. All you got to do is play Count the White People. Dean chuckled. Cat opened her eyes. What the fuck are you talking about? She asked, looking to the dug in the driver's seat. Count the white people. If you can't spot ten white people in ten minutes, you know it's a real shithole. After shaking her head at the clearly Caucasian bruiser, Cat retrieved a notebook from above the closed vanity mirror. That's the most racist thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. It's never done me wrong, Dean said, shrugging his linebacker-esque shoulders before rattling off a long list of patently offensive slurs and stereotypes. Once done, he smiled her way. Rules don't apply to Colombians, boss. With the Pablo Escobar-level shit your people bring in, you don't gotta steal nothing. Cat rolled her eyes. Shut up. These were the last of my mushrooms, and I want to enjoy them. No problem. I was... Dean? Sorry. Reclining the passenger seat, Cat let the psilocybin take over. The hallucinatory blue water lily with gilded red edges appeared almost instantaneously. Cat opened the notebook and pressed her fingers to cellulose, focusing. 
In her mind's eye, she saw the tree chopped, barked, chipped, steamed, dried, rolled, and sliced into thin material. She saw men harvesting wood, operating bulldozers, and working the press. She had never witnessed paper being made, but she knew how, where, and from whom it came. Whether Cat was psychic, mystical, a chemical soothsayer, or simply insane was debatable, but she knew to trust the psilocybin-induced insight. Though always able to envision an object's origins through tactile contact, the sight of the blue lily was one of the few images that came from psilocybin alone. These hallucinations, Cat had come to learn, always meant something significant. She fumbled for a pen in the center console. Once found, Cat swirled the writing utensil about, eyes still shut, and watched phantasmagoric aerial calligraphy. The on-rail lines alternated between purple, blue, and orange before blossoming into shimmering chrysanthemum fireworks. Smiling, Cat sketched the lily as best she could. The drawing was rough, but she could refine the image once the psilocybin had run its course. Didn't know you were into art, Dean said. She scowled. Just can't shut the fuck up, can you? Sorry, Cat. We're almost there. Dean directed the SUV down a narrow alley peppered with rear-entry garages, trash bins, and a couple non-functioning automobiles. Utilizing years of practice, Kat centered her mind, pushing aside the psychedelic as the goon pulled into a garage and killed the engine. They're tied up in the basement, Dean explained. Grab the gear, she said as she exited the vehicle. The home's back door led directly into a kitchen devoid of furniture. The entirety of the house featured similarly sparse decorations, resulting in a near echo as Cat moved along the hardwood, making her way to the basement. A man's voice called from downstairs. Ignoring the question, she padded down the steps and took stock of the situation. Doug, standing behind a gagged black couple bound to folding chairs, even with their dark complexions, the bruises from her 300-pound-plus thugs were easy to spot. "'Sorry to bother you tonight, boss,' Doug said. He possessed an uncanny resemblance to the goon upstairs, despite zero familiar relation. Cat moved to tower above her unfortunate guests. "'Where did you find them?' "'Over there,' Doug replied, pointing to a heap of dirty blankets and empty cans of steel reserve. You could smell them smoking crack as soon as we came through the door. No, 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 Cat scolded, waving a finger in front of their faces. You two are the stupidest crackheads in all of North Minneapolis. Quite the accomplishment, Doug said. The captured man started murmuring through his gag until Cat backhanded him across the face. You talk when I tell you to fucking talk, she shouted. I want to know why I shouldn't kill you both. Understand? They nodded. Which one? Doug asked. The girl. All right. Very nice. <laughs> that <Yeah>. being said. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I did too. I love your narrator's voice. Oh, yeah. See, Michael Forsyth, the guy has an amazing voice. I was really hoping the clip would work because I wouldn't be able to do that justice. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was great. Yeah, you know, he sounds like, well, Shel Silverstein, or the lead singer of uh, what's 
cover of the Rolling Stone, which Silverstein wrote. That's what it kept reminding <laughs> me of. Made me grin. <laughs> so, so what's nice. the story about? What's the book about? What's, yes. Well, can I just read the black back blurb? I think sure. it does a does a sure. best. All right. Yeah. A sticky finger brewer finds himself in a messy situation after the theft of a mutated water lily and a botched marriage proposal end with him defecating substantial amounts of solid gold. Thrust into the limelight, thrust into the limelight, the young man draws unwanted attention from the world over as people scramble to understand the enigmatic philosopher's stone. Add in a heroin-addicted best bud, a psychic drug trafficker, a power-lifting girlfriend, a reclusive botanist specializes in psilocybin, a well-touching cop, and boom, the philosopher's load. Oh, nice. love it. And now I know how to pronounce psilocybin. I never knew how to before. <laughs> yeah, Michael uh, doesn't quite get it right, but I found it so endearing, I just let it go. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that's a, one great voice. So, so before we, now, before so, we, yeah. I want to know, I want to know, do you remember the moment that you got the idea to write this book? Was there anything that spurred it on right away? And you were just like, I'm going to write this. I, I have this idea and I'm going to write this book. Uh, yeah, actually, I've been reading a lot of weird fiction. Uh, I was reading a ton of China Miedo and I really dug, dug the weird dark stuff. And reading his stuff the first time I realized, like, I can do something just really messed up and people will actually read it. So I just started brainstorming, what's the most fucked up thing I could possibly write? <laughs> right. And uh, nice. came up with someone shitting gold and just, all right, what would happen if that actually happened? <laughs> I, I got to tell you, there is actually an American dad with the alien shit gold for an episode. Oh, yeah? And everybody tells each other in order to get the alien shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the only person who watches that. <laughs> and I think he you predated are. it. Probably. All right. Let's let's shift over a little bit. Let's go over to um Amanda's work. We have an excerpt from Cool Green Waters. Um and Tamara's gonna do a reading of that. And then let's find out what sparked Amanda to write this. And then we can start having all kinds of good questions. <laughs> yeah, I think this is going to be a really way. good, interesting oh. mix. <laughs> Let's, all right. Okay. Uh, this is an upcoming novel by Amanda M. Lyons. He lay in a cave deep in a forest that had remained largely untouched by man. His creature lay nearby, dozing in the clammy darkness of the floor. His thoughts writhed in his head, phantom shadows like dragons slithering in and out, almost too slippery for his mind to grasp. He did not remember how he came here, his thoughts scarcely less feral than those of the beasts below him. In these last few days, they cut a swath of death and agony along the random path they wove, tearing victims from slumber and the safety of their bedrooms. A quaking need to destroy ripped through him at random points, and the beast was as eager as he. The man he had been before had been weak and unmoved by the world around him. This new creature was some other being, his raging hunger a jagged counterpoint to his former apathy. Fear no longer had a hold over him, its subtle powers now well under his control, a strange little trick of the night. For all this, his mind still dwelled on the events of that night when he was born and his creature had died, creator had died. Memories with all their emotional pull were a torture he tried to evade. Even so, they overcame him easily and engulfed each of his senses. 
As this well-worn memory rent his thoughts, the wolf whimpered, their symbiotic nature carrying over the pain he did not have the time or the freedom of movement to express. The first thing to come to mind was that last conversation with Trudeau before he'd become his meal, a martyr to their strange and unexpressed love. How he thought he'd known what would come soon after, how he'd wanted to die, tired and sickened by himself. He remembered the feel of the carpet beneath his feet as he stood before his lover and welcomed his mortality, the caress of air on his bare flesh and the heat of Trudeau's feral eyes on him as he spoke. The memory was an ache of desire and loss, as crisp and sharp as the reality. He remembered caresses and gasping iron lace kisses, the flavor and texture of sex, a literal aroma in the place where he slept. And now the creature awakened, aroused by this phantom odor and the sound of his master weeping. He sat on the floor beside him, waiting patiently for the strangeness to end. Delamart was in agony, the ferocity of Trudeau's love exquisite and insatiable. His body responded to the memories, hardened and sweating with arousal. This creature shifted its stamp, easy and impatient. He wept as the moment came, the feel of his master's complete embrace tearing him apart in its ferocity. And then there was nothing, the intensity of those emotions swallowed by the intensity of that vast darkness and the cruelty of being abandoned by the one thing he had ever loved in life. He rose from the rock shelf and caressed his wolf as it waited. He saw its readiness, the ache of lust in its eyes, a powerful thing brought on by instinct and devotion, and he gave in to it. The meese mouthed him a moment, unable to resist the flavor of his naked flesh, painted it, painted as it was in the blood of humans. When he was clean, it rose and presented its openness to him, panting with anticipation. He took the proffered gift, punishing himself for his continued love, pounding himself into the creature as it howled in pain, his fangs in its throat. In the moments of climax, she came to him, her crystalline eyes gleaming as she laughed, the bitch that tore him from the darkness. Wow, that's nice and dark. (laughs) Dark, sexy. All right, Amanda, what moment did you have? Was there a single moment when you said to yourself, I'm going to write this book? Well, this is actually book three in my vampire series. So mm-hmm. this one uh, was the whole idea of what what could I do after I killed the main bad guy in the first two books. Um, that that totally opens everything up, right? Well, right. it turns out there's also the secondary vampire who was also made by uh, their master, Anton. Um, this particular sample is actually the revealing of a being that we didn't realize was still alive. He was killed at the end of uh, the second book. So it's actually a surprise that he's actually still alive and you don't know what he's going to do because he's tearing everything apart and he can make werewolves. And I just thought it would be so interesting, interesting to see exactly what all he can do. So I was invested in the darkness and the light of Mateo, who's this really conflicted character the fact that at the end of the second novel, uh, Raven is also conflicted because he has aspects of Anton in his soul as well as his own, and they're kind of fighting for who is actually the person that is there. So a lot of it's about the struggle of trying to identify self after going through huge amounts of trauma. And uh, my books are kind of, well, they are really dark, but they tend to touch on all the psychological aspects of these things. Right. Very character driven. Yeah. So 
um, often write about nope. vampires, but uh, this is a vampire series. Do you do other vampire series, or do you? I did do one book that was more the brutal vampires with some other authors. It was mm-hmm. a collaborative novel called Feral Hearts, which was about uh-huh. vampire strippers. <laughs> uh, most of my nice. stuff goes to all over the place. I have um, lots of supernatural stories. Um, some that are Native American legends that I kind of just did my own way. Some that are just supernatural tales. I, I have a nasty habit of stories where kids get hurt or do dumb things and bad stuff happens. <laughs> That's another thing. Um, well, if you don't hurt cats, I'm happy. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah Wendigo, Skinwalkers, I love those things. How interesting. Yeah. Uh, but now Wendy I won't. Think... Uh huh. Wendy won't go. Yeah. Is it was about Wendigos and stuff, but it was also a ghost story. Um, Skinwalker is pretty much the straight-up Skinwalker thing, only it involves one that is a female, so that was kind of different, too. Okay. So All I right, think it's cool. time for our orgy, don't you? Alex? Yeah, let's do – okay, so these guys um, – I what I like about uh, this mix of people we have today is uh, both TJ and Amanda have um, a kind of a lot going on. Uh, TJ is the host of Scrivener's Soapbox, and Amanda does a lot of uh, uh, editing for anthologies, uh, all kinds of good stuff. So we're going to talk about some of that. But for now, let's uh, stick to writing, and we're just why don't we just do some questions, and we'll just kind of go back and forth uh, and get you know each of your answers. Um, Okay, so first of all, when and 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 this will go to TJ first, and then to Amanda. Uh, TJ, when did you um, first uh, get published, and what was your road to publication like? Uh, well, I self-published it, but the uh, the first novel had a publication offer. The road to publication was a normal apply to a million different agents and publishers, and sit around in limbo forever, and then. One one bid bite, well, an agent bit, and then this publisher bit. And um, I got the offer, and I had a friend who was actually a literary agent, but she represents nonfiction, so she was nice enough to sit down and go through the contract with me. And just reading it, I was like, I don't really see a lot here that I don't really know I had one assigned this. I don't see anything I can just do myself. <laughs> um <laughs> So that's so I ended up self-publishing the book. Um, so I spent probably about a good six to seven, nah, probably about nine months before, from the beginning of that whole start um, sending out to agents and publishers, and then actually buying the bolt and putting the book out myself. Nice. Cool. What do you, What about you, Amanda? How did you start? What was it like? Well, Wendy Won't Go is my first publication. Uh, well, actually, come to think of it, this is silly that I forgot. Um, the first book, I Like Blue Fire, uh, came out indie first because I spent years putting it off. I actually worked on it for 15 years, and I just did not have the courage to give it a go, uh, which actually was in my favor because I was leaning towards pursuing um, some of the authors, not the authors, but uh, publishers that are now gone because they did disreputable things. Um, but my friend my friend uh, put her book out, and said, you got to give this a go, and I gave it a go. Um, it did okay, but I probably could have used some editing and things. Yeah. Uh, and the same lady uh, found herself as an editor at a small press that was just getting going. 
And they had been out for about a year by then. And she's like, you know, we could use an editor. The editing thing came later. <laughs> Anxiety. <laughs> gets um, but Wendy won't go. She read it. She liked it. She insisted that I should give a chance uh, for Kat to take a look at it at JEA. And they really liked it, and they picked it up, and we got that out there. And uh, probably three, four months later, they were like, you know what? You're really good at editing, too. Let's have you do the editing test. And um, we've been expanding ever since. And uh, I'm actually lead editor and assignment person at JEA at this point. Nice. Nice. Well, I would like to ask you both, TJ, first. um, Mm -hmm. Which authors influenced you as a child? Oh, as a child. Mm -hmm. As a child, is very different than as an adult. As a child, a lot of, uh, you know, really dug the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. The... uh, who wrote Driz? Ari Salvatore or Salvatore mm-hmm. really liked his stuff. Um, Stephen King read a lot of that. It was it was later in life where I started getting into weird fiction like the China Miedo. Um uh-huh. but yeah, as a child, I was a D and D nerd. I mean I that's that's all the stuff <laughs> I read. Uh yeah, my room was decorated in early Hobbit myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, what about you? What authors influenced you most when you were little? Uh, Stephen King. I think he gets a lot of people. Um, first, I saw his movies, and then later on, I started reading his books when I was probably about 12. Um, Poe, Shirley Jackson, mm. uh, quite a few of the fantasy authors and things, and the weird fiction authors. Uh, also, stuff like Scary Stories, Selma Dark, Alvin Swartz. Just a oh, lot of that dark, best, creepy stuff. You know what? My best friend is the author of those. Really? She's starting a new series of them, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah, very good. So so you both have <laughs> roots you both have roots in, 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 in horror, right? You know, you both claim that you like Stephen King. So mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna now now what I wanna know is what scares you more than anything, T J <laughs> What scares me uh uh the thought of death. Honestly, is absolutely really? terrifying to me. Yeah, the idea that someday I'm gonna die is really freaks me out. And every day as I get older, it gets a little bit worse. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What do you think happens when you die? <laughs> uh, nothing. That's the thing. It's over. The game's done. <laughs> but what what about wrong? you, Amanda? What scares you? Oh. <laughs> he stole my answer. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> well, death, because I had uh, all three of my pregnancies were really crazy. Um, and the two that I had my children from, I, I had actually close to death experiences with because of the high risk status. Um, so it kind of ends up being a thing for me. Um, and writing was the way I coped with it. But then I've obviously actually yeah. been exposed to death since I was a kid. So maybe it was just kind of always there. I that I worried about it, but it com- becomes more real when you actually kind of have a right life and death kind of thing. So now when you did have that experience, did anything happen? Like, you know, like you read these stories about people seeing a bright light. Did did anything like that happen? No. Uh, just one of those deals, deals where they tell you later on, hey, by the way, um, right. <laughs> The six-month thing after I had my son, the doctor then broke it to me that I had um, various mutations and stuff, uh, septic uterus and 
um, that my blood pressure had gone very high and uh, he was actually breached and things like that that were huge factors. Uh, we also had placenta wow. that were placenta and beds in the wall, and they have to cut it out. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's horror. Yeah, yeah. See, that's horror. <laughs> now, TJ, I know you don't think anything happens when you die, and it may not, except for the coffee <laughs> part. That's why I want to be cremated. Um, but do you have any true tales of things that have happened, weird things or ghost stories that have happened to you or maybe a friend? We just love ghost stories. Um, I have a number. Well, I have one friend that, that to death, he he completely believes he saw aliens um, at UFO one night. But the always have to preface that by saying he was on LSD. So I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> I don't know how much. I don't know if that story is very believable, but that's about the closest I've got. I don't know. I we have friends <laughs> that tried to do like the whole ghost hunting thing. We got to various like mm-hmm. haunted places, and it's it's always spooky, but nothing really creepy ever happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amanda, do you have any ghost stories? Uh, kind of just times where things go weird and you don't know what to think of it. Uh, just you go on the you go on a walk in the woods. You look behind you and there's this dark shadow figure in the bright sunlight peeking out behind a tree. Oh. And you're like, wow, I didn't see that. I'm just gonna keep walking. <laughs> Elemental type stuff. Yeah, like little weird things like yeah. that mostly. Oh, I mean, I've been around people my whole life that believe very much in the supernatural. I just don't rule anything out until I definitively know one way or the other. Yeah, right. the supernatural isn't necessarily supernatural. We just don't. It's just an anomaly. Yeah, but, but yeah. that doesn't take it away. Science could be one big story. thing. So yeah. yeah. Well, no. things like the the um uh when I say Winnebago, and that's not right. Uh, Wendigo? <laughs> Wendigo, that's it. I always call it Winnebago. Um, Winnebago. <laughs> they they seem very attached to odd places in nature. Like you'll find a whole lot of uh, oh iron ores in a spot, and people react badly to that. That it'll it'll mess with your caveman brain and make you nervous, and you'll lose your sense of direction, things like that. And I think a lot of it is like that, which is why I love to get lost in the woods. <laughs> And she does like getting lost in the woods, which is really odd. I do. But... Yeah, he's been with me when I have. But... <laughs> yes, not fun for me at all. Um, no, all right, so back it. back to writing. We're talking about monsters. Um, so speaking of of monsters and scary things, TJ, what is the hardest kind of character for you to write? A good guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why all my characters are anti-heroes because I don't, I don't, I don't do well with a a noble-hearted character. I think everyone's kind of a dick deep down. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nice. Nice. What about you, Amanda? Um, characters. I, I don't know. I, I can kind of write pretty much everything. It's more genres for me. Like I don't think I could write thrillers or suspense novels, like or military stuff. Mhm. Yeah. So, so maybe it's the kind of characters you would find in those, maybe. Yeah. What What is your very favorite thing to write? Uh, and within a story, is it a fair plot, witty dialogue? What What do you get off on the most, TJ? 
dialogue uh, by far. I get I get uh, criticized a lot by my writing group that I don't have enough going on besides the dialogue. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that kind of need that too, don't I? But I, I really enjoy the back and forth between characters. Oh, that is fun. And Amanda? Atmosphere and characters. I, I like to explore what the the characters are thinking and how they're experiencing the world around them and how things work before you got there. And atmosphere is just because I like to be able to describe a scene and just have you actually see it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very good. Interesting. What about you, Tamara? Me? You tell mm-hmm. me. You write with me every day. I know, uh, but what is <laughs> I, I don't I have to say the answer. I, I just absolutely get blown away with, with atmosphere. I can write that for hours, as you know. But dialogue yeah. is probably my very favorite. Yeah. What about you, Alistair? Uh, I'd say dialogue. I, I, I yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's because I, I'm I'm like I'm a lot like uh, uh, TJ in that way. Like it, there's um. I can get two people talking and kind of the that's other fun. stuff just kind of falls away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to me. Yeah. That, that's when we, we each start taking over scenes is when the dialogue starts up and then it's like, Oh, he's on fire. I'm not going to touch this. Yeah. <laughs> <Vice> yeah. <laughs> so whose turn is it to ask a question? It's I don't me. know. Let's, I want to talk about, I want okay. to talk about um, like, like style, like person, third person, uh, DJ, what what have you written, and what do you prefer, and why? Third person limited, past um, tense always. Uh, why? It just that's what I like to read. I so I do sometimes wish I write stuff in first person, so I get a little bit more into the character's head. Um, I have a guy in my writing has a great. He's a lot of witty stuff you can use in the character's head that just doesn't really work when you go and. Because I, I don't really like to go into my character's head a lot. I go real limited. Um, right. So I, I get kind of envious when he gets to do stuff like that. But I, I can't stand when people write in present tense. I don't know what it is. So it's <laughs> strictly past tense for me. Yeah. See, and, and that, that's interesting. I'm, I'm. That's interesting that you said that because I actually feel the same way. I if a if a book sounds really good to me. Uh, that's one of the first things I check for. If it's in present tense, yeah. I don't. I just. I. I don't know why. It just. It doesn't. It doesn't work for me. I know a lot of people yeah. really like it, but it's just to me. It's. It's awkward. I've never been able to really get into it. So, every you know, yep. something out there for everybody. Uh, what about you, Amanda? Have you written? What do you prefer, and why? I almost always do third person, but once in a while I'll use first. Uh, a lot of it is like getting into the character's head, and that's what I do with both. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of depends on the plot. It's more often that I'll do third just because you can cover more ground instead of just what the character sees. Um, but you can get a unique perspective on what that character thinks if you use first with some some stuff. Um, I don't know. It kind of just goes by uh, what the nature of the story seems to be to me. Whether right. or not I use one or the other, I will agree. If they write in present tense, that bothers me really badly. Um, <laughs> right. Well, kind of past tense is just more natural. It's actually what we we tend to tell stories in. Yeah. yeah right. That, that's exactly how I feel. I'm like, you don't really. I mean, I guess you kind of do sometimes. And I was standing there, and he comes up to me, and he was like, you know. So I guess that works. But yeah, I I, I yeah. kind of agree. 
Um, before we continue, uh, for those who are just joining us, we are talking to two authors tonight, two very different authors, both very good writers. Uh, TJ Reddig, who is a guy with a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. He manages chemical and mental health contracts for the man, writes dark and weird fiction, spends leisure time studying the sociological and psychological impact of narcotics, interviews authors on a weekly podcast called Scrivener Soapbox, be sure to check that out, and does mobile recording and editing in the Twin Cities. Our other guest is Amanda Lyons, who is a longtime fan of horror and fantasy. She writes character-driven novels that, while influenced by her darker interests, can also be heavily laced with fantasy, romance, history, and magic. Um, also, if you're looking for something good to read after checking out these guys, of course, be sure to check out Andersonville by Edward Erdelak. Andersonville is a bold, terrifying new novel. A mysterious man posing as a Union soldier risks everything to enter the Civil War's deadliest prison, only to find a horror beyond human reckoning. Publishers Weekly calls Andersonville horror at its best and not at all for the faint of heart. Available wherever ebooks are sold. We did a show with Ed Erdelak, I think it was last week or maybe the week before. Great guest, great writer, check him out. Um, on a personal note, uh, Tamara Thorne and I are, my co-host and I and my collaborator, are thrilled to announce that The Ghost of Ravencrest, which up until now has only been a serialized novel, has been released as a full-length novel, which is available on Amazon under the title The Ghost of Ravencrest, and it's all eight installments in novel form. If you haven't checked it out, uh, do so now. Um, now, returning to our guests and our questions, um, mm -hmm. this is a question that I love. I love to ask. Um, we'll start with TJ. What is the most interesting research you've ever had to do? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, in the second novel that I'm working on now, there's a, a character who, after ejaculating, becomes telepathic. Uh, has to do with um, his testosterone being suppressed or released. So I had to figure out. There's a, a drug called Depo-Provera. The females use it as a, you know, it's a, a birth control thing. Oh, yeah. And I had to try to figure out how uh, they use it on sex offenders to suppress libido. And I needed it to work into the story so his uh, powers could kind of work continuously. He didn't have to keep working a lot every time I needed to uh, read some minds. So I was finding myself <laughs> Googling on the effects of Depo-Provera on men, which is also very <laughs> common besides sex offenders, very common with the transgender, transsexual community. So I had a really interesting Google search history for a, a week or so as I was <laughs> delving into that. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> and you, Amanda? Oh, I'll have to have you repeat the question. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's the most interesting research you've ever had to do? I've actually I did a heck of a lot of research for uh the sequel to Cool Green Waters because I actually had to find out exactly how people who were um mixed race were treated in the era where he lived, when he lived, which was way back in the sixteen hundreds. Um and I thought actually they were much more open minded in some places. So I I actually had yeah. to make sure that I wrote that the whole area with that in mind. Um, Mateo is actually somebody who was raised by a mother who was very open-minded. She was bisexual and she had many lovers and he was this guy that just happened to, this kid who came out of one of his relationships and he's half Spanish, half black. 
And so I have all these little elements that I had to research of that era um, to work on that. Oh, very uh, interesting. Good stuff. Um, now, I want to ask about, okay, writers often have rituals. Do you have any rituals, TJ, that you do when you set up in the morning or whenever you write? Uh, yeah, it's nothing too exciting. Get up, get a cup of coffee a bit immediately and sit down uh, and start writing. Yeah. Okay, Amanda? I just have to play some sort of music that makes sense for what I'm writing. Like if I'm writing the vampire novels, I usually listen to something that's more gothic, um, mm-hmm. rock, or our synth. Whereas with stuff like Other Dangers, which uh, is another book I'm going to be getting done with before too long, I listen to more alternative stuff like Vast um, uh-huh. and that kind of thing because it sets the action-y tones that are in that. So I set the scene sort of with music and everything else is kind of trivial, really. Wow. So, so neither of you, like, sacrifice chickens or anything before you start work. <laughs> Not for writing, but... For other, things. <laughs> for other things. <laughs> uh, Amanda, can I jump in and ask a question? So Amanda, with the, the music stuff, do you write well with music with lyrics? Because I found I cannot, I get pulled out of my work if I'm, yeah. if someone's singing. You know, it actually oh. totally depends on what I'm writing. Some stuff is like that if I really have to focus with it, or I might have yeah. to listen to just one song on repeat. Um, but a lot of the time I actually can listen to whatever as long as the atmosphere is right. Gotcha. Wow. And again, I'm a lot, I'm with TJ on this again, because I, we've talked to a lot of writers and I, and I, and it's amazing to me how many people listen to music because if it doesn't have words, then I'm fine. Yeah. But if, if it has words, I will start writing the words. (laughs) I can't, it trips me out. Yeah, I I can usually be. I can usually do it without words, but sometimes, especially if it's Mozart or, or Scott Joplin, I'm very eclectic, I get conductivitis, and pretty soon my hands aren't on the keys. They're up in the air moving. <laughs> the <music>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you also write with the TV on. I can't do that. I couldn't. Oh, like oh, even just background noise, movies, I can't. Only old movies that I already know that, you know, like if I put Full Metal Jacket on because I love the, the soundtrack, there's music. But, it, yeah, it just babbles very softly and it shuts, it closes out the cat noises and the human noises and the noises from outside so I don't notice them. That's the only reason. And I only do that if you and I aren't online. So. Yeah, because I couldn't but, be able, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd be like, what, what, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would drive you right. crazy. So actually, you know what? On that note, let's let's talk uh, about collaboration. TJ, have you ever collaborated with another author? And would you? I have never. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> I, I mean, be open to trying it. I'm willing to try anything, but I just cannot see how. Because I, I I really like to take my time with stuff. I am in no rush to put work out ever. Um, and I, all, all the writers I know are very knows the grindstone, getting books out one after another. And that's just not how I work. It's done and it's yeah. done. Don't bother me till then. Yeah, that's fine. Well, yeah, and, and from what we hear, you know, we 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 talk to a lot of writers, and it it rarely works out. So we know we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. What about you, Amanda? Have you ever collaborated? And would you do that? 
Um, yeah, I have. Actually, I think the only way I wound up trying it was that I was at JEA, and uh, around the time that I got published with them originally, I was actually asked by Ed Cardillo um, to take part in Feral Hearts. And I wrote with him, Tad Dannon, Mark Woods, Jim Goforth, and Michael Fisher. And we, we all had these different, we each were our own character. Uh, and that was the beginning. And then Ed did a middle that conglomerated all the characters. And then we each wrote a different ending. So the book actually has oh, nice. five different endings. Um, I also work with my uh, fiance Todd Missouri, on our stories about Jenny, who is uh, a character in a series we would kind of like to do into a comic series called Generator. Uh, it's sort of steampunk and gothic and Lovecraftian and all these things all at once. Um, that's fun. Uh, we're actually, uh, all, most of the people from Feral Hearts are actually going to be working with me on uh, Lycanthro Ship, which is a werewolf take on that whole uh, collaboration oh, idea. Interesting. Now, you both have other works. And PJ, you have one upcoming. Can you tell us about that or read us the back cover and whatever you well, want to do? The back cover's not, not ready yet. Um, oh, okay. Let's see. I already talked about the post of Jack and the Toy Telepath. Um, it's it's centered in a in an oil town, kind of like what's going on in North Dakota with these towns just blowing up. Um, and this, the characters stumble across a, a creature that's that's buried way underground, uh, that happens to be tied into the whole oil thing, and um, kind of latches on. It's a cephalopod that latches onto one of their heads, and it just Stuff gets weird from there. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like fun. And Amanda, you have um, Love Like Blood. And tell us about your whatever you want to tell us about. Sorry, what was the uh, question? I, oh, I was going to Amanda. Um, oh, tell us about some of your other work, uh, whatever you want to tell us about. Uh, I have several stories, actually, in anthologies this year, just a ton of them. Um, and I had a few last year. Uh, Love Like Blood was a story that was maybe six pages long, but it very clearly was a companion sister story to Wendy Won't Go because it's kind of the flip side of the coin. Uh, Wendy Won't Go was sort of about a mother who dies in childbirth and then all the craziness that happens because she doesn't like go um, when she dies. Uh, Love Like Blood is much more about what will you do in order to protect your child. Um while Wendy was attacking her daughter after she died all the time and uh, for years, um, and they had to move to try to avoid her, and, and he had to cover up bruises and things that she got from the attacks. In Love Like Blood, the mother is doing all these awful, immoral things that the skinwalker asks her to do in order for her to even see her daughter in a visit. And wow. things turn out very differently for her than they do for Wendy. Interesting. Uh, See now I'm hearing good. that I can I can totally understand like how you said that you it's kind of you know, writing is kind of your therapy for your own experiences. Um yeah. good for you. I don't know if I could do that. That's good. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um what TJ is mm -hmm. your greatest disappointment as a writer? What what are you what disappoints you more than anything? Huh. Um I guess 
when I finish a work and I go back and see if there's parts that I, I could have done edgier. I could have been more, I guess, offensive would be the word. I really like to push people's <laughs> buttons. So I don't, I don't like to go back and go, oh, man, I could have just, if I just made it, just push it a little bit further, more of my family wouldn't talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. I like your attitude. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Amanda? What do you think is the greatest disappointment on this path? Taking 15 years with Eyes Like Blue Fire. I mean, there were a lot of things I learned with it, but and knowing that I could have possibly gotten started sooner drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, still finishing all these books that I started in the meantime, whenever I had stops and starts with it. So I kind of just wish I got started sooner. Yeah. No yep, I'm, yep, I understand that. Yeah. Well, usually people that are still in their 20s aren't quite ripe yet anyway, if that makes sense. <laughs> that are still in their 20s? Yeah. yeah. Some are. Some are, but it's really hard <laughs> to be very successful very Those early. 49. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you're not right. Back on the tree. Twenty nine. <laughs> you're not twenty one though. It's, it's hard to do. But that brings me to my question: How old were you when you started writing for yourself? When did you write like your first stories? And what were oh, they about? First, okay, mm-hmm. first stories would be way back, like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and they were all just spinoffs of Dungeons and Dragons characters. You know, that was what I was reading at the time until yeah. I didn't see that. I do remember trying oh. to write a vampire story at that age, but it really was just a awful. <laughs> um, then so short fiction stuff throughout college, but it didn't get real serious until after college. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I wrote stories instead of that. <laughs> I'm old now. Amanda, what did you do? What did you write early on there? Uh. It wasn't really until junior high I started writing things for myself. I think probably the first story that I wrote like that was Nor'easter, which was, uh, it's still its own thing, but it kind of has some influence from something like The Mist because you have the snowstorm, the kids get trapped in this high school, and you have all the psychological effects that they have. And then a few days in, they realize there's this monster in the storm that caused the storm, and it just sucks everybody's flesh off and all this. And that was probably the first time <laughs> nice. I really had an idea that I what I was doing. Um, that was probably around 8th or ninth grade. So I was probably like 14, uh-huh. 15 years old. Oh, very nice. Um, so now both of oh, you, both of oh, you write, um, you know, some, some dark stuff. And TJ said something that sparked a question that I'm curious about, because this is always, this usually always has a pretty good answer. How do the people around you respond to your writing? <laughs> uh, my wife is embarrassed by it to a degree, I'd say. Um, <laughs> she she struggled to try to read it multiple times and she just can't handle it. My family, who've all read it, they all have very. Uh, it's it's always a, a hilarious conversation because they're like, "That was interesting." I'm like, "You know, if your stuff offends you, you don't have to read it, right?" Like, I, <laughs> I won't be upset if you if that's not your cup of tea. Um, but all my writer friends really liked it, so that's that's all that really matters to me. <laughs> what about you, Amanda? How do the people around you respond to your writing? 
Well, my dad wrote songs and poetry and things like that, so he was kind of impressed to see that, you know, one of his kids was definitely going to write. Um, a lot of it was more, though, that there was a teacher that got me really going into it, and I kept running into teachers that would encourage me to work on development and learning how to not repeat things, things like that. Um, people liked my stories, and they wanted to make sure I didn't fall through the cracks and not go anywhere with it. That's a lot yeah. of what it was. Um, my mom never read, so she wasn't that big into it, but uh, a lot of people responded well to it, and they kind of almost had this, when I was in school, I actually had people respond to me in this way that was almost like fear and awe at the same time that I could write. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, nice. that's just like when we look at a, a classic painting and I stand there, how did they do that? It must be magic. But writing is just normal. So it's hard yeah. to understand that, that writing yeah. is yeah. so difficult to some people. But Okay, yeah. I have a question that I just love. We, Alistair and I were asked this on a show, and it stumped us. And he knows what this question is. Yes, I do. TJ, <laughs> what would your theme song be if you had one? Huh. <laughs> I can see why that would stump people. Um, <laughs> God. Go to Amanda. I'll come, come back to me. I'll have one. <laughs> Do you have one, Amanda? I have a couple I could think of off the bat. Um, Good. Uh, New Order Regret is one. Because uh-huh. it kind of just touches on a lot of the things that I've always dealt with in my life and kind of always just seeking that sense of stability and feeling calm instead of all the craziness that life presents. I think that would probably be a good one for me. Oh, that's nice. Nah, that works. Back to you, TJ. Okay, yeah, I, I'm, I pulled stuff up. It's going to be something by Mindless Self-Indulgence. Um, they're an industrial metal group. So if I had Shut Me Up or Straight to Video would be, those are good, good, clear face type songs, Unrelentless. Those those would probably be my theme song. All right. Wow, that's great. It would help. We don't remember what we said anymore. <laughs> like, I don't either. I just I just grabbed whatever was there. I I I got on the yeah. I got on Google and just said something I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so, wow, Billy Circus Show by Bruce Springsteen. That would make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would that would actually. Yeah. So what, what are you guys, okay. So TJ, what are you, what do you plan to work on in in the future? Is there, is there a story that you have in you that you really think that one day you're going to, you're going to write? Yeah, there's certainly stories. Uh, I'd kind of mentioned this before, but after the second novel, I'm actually going back to get my doctorate. So writing is going to have to take a a back seat for a good long time. Yeah, I'm not gonna have the time to write any novels for a while. So, but yeah, there's definitely stuff I want. I really want to have a a story set in the same universe as my other two books. That the main character is actually a transgender um, character. I think we, there's not enough people doing stuff like that. I'd like to yeah, give that person a okay. spotlight for a while. Yeah, fun. Yeah, fun. and congratulations on going back to school. That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, so eager to get what about you, Amanda? Do you do you have a story in you that you think that someday you really want to write? 
Well, a lot of it is kind of finishing stuff I started a while back. Um, other dangers I have to go through and add about 10,000 words. That's something. Um, lady writes the end of the world, and it happens, and then she tries to make up for it. Uh, it's a lot Ooh. more complicated than that, but it's it's a big book. It was my magnum opus. <laughs> I was halfway my in, and I told my my um, boss at, at uh, JA, Kat Damon, I have um, 150,000 words, and it's halfway done. So I'm still working on it. She's like, no, you're going to chop that in three books. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> So nice. we're we're going to do it in parts, and I, I just got to flesh out those, some of those parts a little bit. Um, there's also stuff like the farm, which is about a lady and her husband that they can't figure out why, but the animals are mutating in these horrible monsters, like out of Lovecraft. Um, oh wow! An, another is a book called Jody. That's it's kind of a Carrie story, but this is a different thing because she's this girl who kind of went. Not quite catatonic, but she's 17, but she acts like she's more like seven or eight. And she has these dolls she talks to, but nobody finds out until she actually has somebody threaten her, who's actually her half-brother, that the dolls will do anything they can to protect her. And they they come for him because they kidnap her the one night and they're going to kill her with a combine. It was a short story I wrote in high school, and I've been working on fleshing it out. Um, there's probably other things. Like I have this one I started about a boy who follows his mother into another world um, who was catatonic until she took off one night. Uh, So I kind of just have a lot of different things going, and I got to see which ones get finished first. Nice, nice. I'm excited. I hope that you both continue writing and both write those stories. Uh, We're almost out of time. I have one more question for, for both of you. We talked about uh, the greatest uh, disappointment in writing. So, TJ, what is your proudest moment as a writer? Um, I I've had a couple of moments with my writing group where I, I will submit something, a particular chapter, and it just leaves them speechless as to, yeah, yeah obviously, as I've been talking, I like to shock people. I like to um, push <laughs> buttons, and I, and I will do things. I have scenes and stories that they're just like I don't, I don't know how to respond. And I was like, was it fucked up enough? They're like I, yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> nice. All right. What about you, Amanda? What is your proudest moment as a writer? Uh, Love like blood really hit a lot of people when I first sent it to people that I knew to read it. There were other writers like Susan Simone and uh, Michael Knuckle, who were my friends. They read it, and I remember uh, Michael Knuckle respond to it like he had a very distinct and absolute idea of what the Skinwalker was really doing, mm-hmm. and that was just because he read the story and he was hit with it enough to actually be adamant about it to the author. Um, nice. Susan was just so impressed that I, I wrote this and she really enjoyed it. And we wound up, wound up doing a collector's edition of Wendy Won't Go uh, that has um, Wendy Won't Go, Mark Woods' Time of Tides and Love Like Blood in it and a, another version that has Wendy Won't Go, Time of Tides and a story by Mark out of that because we kind of wanted to get people to see some more of our stuff and we really didn't have much else at that time that was done. Um, so nice. it left an impact and it kind of got things going a bit more. Very cool. 
Nice. All right. So before we go, uh, let's tell the readers where they can find out more about you guys and your work. TJ, where can readers find you online? Website's the easiest place, tjreddick.com, Tango, Julie, to Romeo, Echo, Delta, India, Golf.com. I only have that memorized because I say at the end of my podcast every week. Um, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, too. That's, if you want to connect with me, Facebook's probably the easiest way besides just sending me an email from my website. I'm on Twitter, but I don't I don't look at it. It's just useless at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about what about you, Amanda? Where can readers find out more about you? Uh Goodreads is a good place because I actually interact quite a bit on there, but also my website, uh AmandaMLions.weebly.com. Nice. Um, thank you guys for being on. This was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We hope to have you back and thank you everybody for listening. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights and sweet screams. Thanks for listening. Good night, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Stop into Lowe's to fit a few more projects and a lot more savings into summer. Get your deck looking its best with the new Valspar Exterior Stain. It covers in one coat, is rain-ready in four hours, provides all-weather defense from the elements, and it's only at Lowe's. Then, get ready to kick off the fall grilling season with savings of up to 20% on select grills. All projects have a starting point. Start with Lowe's. Grill offer valid through 829. While supplies last, see store for details. Stop into Lowe's to fit a few more projects and a lot more savings into summer. Get your deck looking its best with the new Valspar Exterior Stain. It covers in one coat, is rain-ready in four hours, provides all-weather defense from the elements, and it's only at Lowe's. Then, get ready to kick off the fall grilling season with savings of up to 20% on select grills. All projects have a starting point. Start with Lowe's. Grill offer valid through 829. While supplies last, see store for details.